On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk, and I am your host, Mitchell Fawn. Joining me on this episode from the band Sticks, it is Lawrence Gowan, or Larry Gowan, or alias Gowan. No matter how you know him, he is one of the greatest, and uh, we talk about the band's upcoming touring schedule, including REO Speedwagon, Don Felder, the residency in Vegas, but more importantly, we talk about Larry's role in the movie another wolf cop that is right the one and only gowan is now a movie star add that to the fine resume of things he's done over the years uh, so we talk about that on the other side of the break i have got from the band black rebel motorcycle club pete hayes or peter hayes and we talk about their new album wrong creatures i've had a chance to preview the album and it reminds me with to my to my older ears of sort of the darker side of Cheap Trick. If you listen to songs like Violins, Ballad of TV Violence, and stuff like that, um, I get that same vibe. It's obviously not a copy. It's not a knockoff. Don't get me wrong. It is their own original take on on, on stuff, but it just it gives me that, that feeling. But first, before we get to all these wonderful interviews, I have got uh, author Brett Weiss of the Encyclopedia of Kiss. He has gone through the entire history of KISS and stuck it together in a nice encyclopedia form. So if you need to search up something like uh, the World with Heroes tribute, you just flip to the W's and there it is. And so it's, it's great stuff. And of course, we talk about putting it together and uh, just KISS in general, because KISS in general is always fun to talk about. So I'll start with that. It's about a 15-minute interview or so. I'm going to split it up into two parts. We'll do uh, seven, eight minutes up front. Then we'll get right into Lawrence Gowan. Uh, we'll take our break, and then I'll come back. We'll finish our chat with Brett, and then we'll get right into Peter Hayes of Black Rebel, a motorcycle club, uh, talking about their new album, Wrong Creatures. Um, but here, you know, let's get started. Let's get this party started. Um, right? Yeah, that, that sounds like a reasonable thing to do. So here, without further ado, is author Brett Weiss. We are speaking with author Brett Weiss. The new book is Encyclopedia of Kiss, Music, Personnel, Events, and Related Subjects. Good day, Mr. Brett. How are you? Hey, Mitch. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Good, good. Pleasure to talk to you. Now, uh, you and I share a common love for, of course, the band Kiss, and you went that one step further, and you made an entire encyclopedia about it. So talk to me about the concept, and, and for folks listening you know, explain what I mean by encyclopedia. Sort of, sort of lay out this book for us. Okay. Well, a few years ago, uh, just a few short years ago, I was reading all the biographies that came out: Ace's biography, Peter's, uh, Gene's, and then Paul's, uh, which I really liked Paul's the best because it got really personal and and opened him, you know, a lot of vulnerabilities that he he talked about and that kind of thing. It was a really sincere book, 
anyway, I was reading, you know, some of the other books and, um, kiss and sell, uh, kiss hotter than hell, just a ton of different kiss books. I have in my collection. And it occurred to me that unlike other big iconic bands, like the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, the Grateful Dead, all these huge, big iconic bands, Kiss was the only one that did not have an encyclopedia uh, written about it. And I thought that was just ridiculous. And as someone who's been a, a published author for over 20 years, I thought, around 20 years, I thought, you know, let's make it happen. So I contacted my publisher who I had written several video game books for about classic video games, Atari, ColecoVision, Television, Nintendo, all that good stuff. I thought, why not do something uh, for Kiss like that that would collect all the important information uh, of Kiss over the years, all the songs, all the albums, the concerts, the tours, the merchandise, uh, the big events, the TV specials, the comic book appearances, the movie appearances, TV appearances. I mean, this thing is really comprehensive with all the important and obscure moments throughout the band's existence. And I thought all this information with my uh, particular slant on it, since I've been a, a fan of the band since the mid seventies, why not the, the band, you know, I just thought this is just an obvious gap in the publishing industry that there's no kiss encyclopedia, especially when you compare them to, to, you know, contemporary bands, uh, classic bands. So, Publisher was very receptive to the idea, especially coming upon the band's 40th anniversary and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction and all that good stuff. And so uh, they just they loved the idea. So I got to work on it, I, to research. I listened to tons of interviews with all the band members. I, you know, used books, magazines, comics, you know, just did all the reference, uh, you know, did all the research I could. And when I found conflicting uh Bits of information, you know, sometimes Gene will say one thing and Ace will say another and it doesn't exactly, uh, you know, match, match uh, right. you know. Yeah, I just I went, you know, and I would present both sides, you know, and just leave it at that. And if I could find the absolute truth about, it, you know, a particular incident, then then that's what I would report. But but just tons, you know, a couple of years, the book took, took a couple of years. It was just really exhaustively researched and all that good stuff. Uh, you know, just to get all the kiss info possible in one book. Yeah, and 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 it is hard sometimes uh, to research this stuff because there is a lot of conflicting stories and there's a lot of sort of memories that are recreated. Um, and I and I notice <laughs> right. I notice you include three sides of the coin in there. The uh, the podcast that I was once a a part of, which is kind of cool to see that that's in there. Well, um, I wanted to make the book relevant for uh, the modern age as well, and I think podcasts and websites and all that stuff are, are really important nowadays. You know, I could have just only put, you know, stuff from the 70s and 80s or, you know, when they took their makeup off or whatever, but I wanted to include, you know, the recent stuff that's been going on with KISS, and I think the podcasts and things like that are helping keep the band, you know, relevant for, for you know, today's music fans. Yeah, and so is the book. I mean, there's that calm, you know, just keeping the band in the discussion is what keeps it going. Now, I haven't noticed a lot of mention on bootlegs. I think there's one or two mentioned. Uh, talk to me about uh, trying to track down different bootlegs and, and different sort of live recordings and, and the importance of those. Yeah, that's one area of the book that, that's really not, uh, I don't have much in the book about bootlegs. Um, something had to give, you know, I did have a word limit, uh, on the book with, you know, from the publisher and everything. And since bootlegs aren't really my specialty, that that's one area where the book doesn't really cover that much. I would probably, I think there's a, a podcast on kiss bootlegs that would probably be a good resource for that. Uh, 
And um, I do include uh, a, a ton of, of the tribute CDs. I, I, I think I got every one of them at least uh, published up to within the last year or so. You know, just uh, CDs, uh, recordings that were tributes to the band. You know, there's a lot of, uh, of published material that's um, by, you know, just bands paying tribute to different specific albums or, or eras or whatever. But, but yeah, the bootlegs, I, I don't really go into too much on. Just not my, my field of expertise. Yeah, and and of course, but, but the point being though that those also are are something that keep the band in conversation. I've always found that bootlegs are important in that. That you know, people yeah, I certainly all, worked for the Grateful Dead, you know, bands yeah. like that, and then Kiss, you know, right there, sure. Um, talk to me about some of the uh, more difficult tracks that to get information on. Like I, I see here on page nine, you have the song "Ain't That Peculiar." Uh, we also talk about "None of Your Business." Uh, how was it finding some of those uh, demo tracks and tracks that haven't been really widely circulated and, and, and getting information on those? Yeah, that was that took a lot of um, a lot of, of research and YouTube was a big help. You know, there's a lot, a lot of this stuff is on YouTube and there's a book called uh, Kiss Hotter Than Hell by uh, the stories behind every song by Paul Elliott. That was a huge help. And uh, tracking information down about you know bootlegs and B sides, you know, tough tough to find songs. That that was a, between you know YouTube and that book and and just some different searches I did and interviews. That I, I managed to get a lot of information about that, and I learned a lot uh, you know as I went along about you know the stuff that's just not on you know the, the standard albums. Uh, end of December was uh, Bill O'Coin's birthday the uh, first manager for kiss he also managed of course billy idol uh talk to me about the importance of bill o'coin in the evolution of the band and um you know what what does he mean to 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 sort of the the common fan well he you know I've, i've noticed lydia trying to get you know push for him to get uh into the rock and roll hall of fame and i think that would be a no brainer you know i think that would you know, just as the face of the band early on, as the band's biggest fan, uh, supporting the band financially when, you know, that was a major, major, you know, who knows if that, who knew if that was going to work. But apparently he, you know, he had so much confidence in them at such an early point when they were pay- playing to such small crowds. I mean, it's just amazing. He had a lot of foresight and just his support uh, is just phenomenal. I mean, without him... Sean Delaney and a few others, you know, we might be looking at a very, you know, just a band that was sort of a fly-by-night uh, thing. So, yeah, absolutely important. Yeah. And I'm glad to know, I've always said O-Coin, but it's O-Coin. Yeah, well, I've always said O-Coin, <laughs> just in the sense that uh, in in French, you know, O-Coin means at the corner. So, so right. it's sort of the cornerstone of KISS. Um, being being a huge Kiss fan myself, I first saw them in August of 1979 live at at the Montreal Forum. Um, right. When was the first time you got to see Kiss and sort of relate that experience to you? For, because for me, it was life changing. I mean, it, there was just this moment of aha. Now I know right. what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Sure. Well, growing up, uh, see, I was born in '67. So I was eight, around eight years old when I first heard Kiss. And I believe, I believe, I don't have that specific aha moment, like, oh, wow, because I don't recall the exact first time I saw him or heard him, but I do have impressions of hearing Alive for the first time, like Nothing to Lose just blew me away, the live recording of that. 
And so I grew up loving Kiss and seeing them on TV and whatnot. But unfortunately, I didn't have a way to get to a show uh, during the makeup era. I mean, when I was, you know, in 77, 78, you know, I'm 10, 12 years old around that time. And my parents just weren't interested in taking me. And I didn't uh, have, you know, I just n- never had the opportunity uh, to see them during the makeup era, era. Unfortunately, I didn't get to a show until January 13th, 1984. And um, that was in Dallas. Boy. Yeah. So I didn't see them in concert uh, with their makeup until... Uh, the reunion, the reunion tour. tour in 96 because I just never had to wait to, you know, until I had a car, there was just no opportunity to go see him. And, um, and you know, we live in the Dallas Fort Worth area and just, I just, uh, I had a friend that said, Oh, you know, I'm, we might be able to go at some point. I just, I remember the dynasty tour, there was an opportunity to possibly go, but that fell through. And yeah, I just, uh, didn't see him till, uh, right after they took the lick it up tour after they took their makeup off. Yeah. And that was, that was um, a great tour by the way. It was. It was a great album, a great tour, and what blew me away by that. So I'm 16 years old, and you know I grew up just like all the other hardcore Kiss fans. You know, bummed that they didn't play them on the radio more, bummed that they weren't getting the dis- the respect they deserve, and all that kind of stuff. Well, when I was 16, and Lick It Up was came out, and they were suddenly on the radio, especially in the, the Dallas Fort Worth area. I mean, it's a, it's a great uh, during the 70s and 80s. You know, the Q102, the Zoo. Legendary radio stations. There, there was a lot of record companies here, based here. Great area for music, except the big stations here had a major anti-Kiss bias. So when you hear about Kiss not getting played on the radio in the 70s, it was even worse around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I remember the first time I ever heard Kiss on the radio was Beth on my mom's Easy Listening channel. <laughs> you know, That's they just didn't. Yeah, they didn't. They just didn't play them on the rock. Every once in a while, you might hear rock and roll or not, or shout it loud or loud or something. But it was very rare, and it was usually late at night or something. Yeah, I don't think we and ever so, heard them in Montreal, quite frankly. Yeah, and so in in, in eighty three when um, or you know uh, started hearing uh, "Lick It Up" on the radio, I was just blown away that Kiss got some. Of, that song was in heavy rotation uh, around here, and that just that was just amazing to me. That was like, finally, you know. We'll get back to our uh, chat with Brett and all things Kiss uh, after the break. But uh, now let's move right on over to uh, Larry Gowan. He is in a movie called Another Wolf Cop. And the band Sticks is on tour. They have a new album that came out in 2017. They're doing Ario Speedwagon, Darren Felder, uh, Residency in Vegas. Just nonstop. I mean, basically, this band has been in motion for, what, 40, 45 years, just nonstop. So without further ado, a, a personal favorite of mine, the one, the only, Larry Lawrence Gowan of Sticks. We are speaking with Lawrence Gowan of Sticks. And uh, Lawrence, I got to say one thing just before before the hellos. I was looking you up, and apparently um, some sites refer to you as Alias Gowan, not just also known as your, you have an alias. <laughs> Oh, wow. Finally, <laughs> I have an alias. Oh, I'm like a superhero. Yeah. That's great. I was just fine. That's, just... that's great to know. But the so the alias is Gowan and the real the... guy is Lawrence Gowan or the other way around? No, the real guy, <laughs> according to this one site, is Larry Gowan and your alias ah. is Gowan. And I went, alias? Okay. I go, hmm. That's, that's very funny. The uh, He existed yeah. and well, toured as Gowan Larry... for... <laughs> it's funny because Larry Gowan is the guy that plays hockey. Um Lawrence Gowan is the guy that plays with sticks, and Gowan is well. Hopefully, hopefully your your listeners will know who Gowan. <laughs> well, Gowan, if, yeah. If not, then 
If not, then we'll, we'll have to do something about that and get back on the trail. Speaking of the trail, so as we start yeah. off 2018, Styx has tons and tons of shows lined up. You are doing a residency. You've got REO Speedwagon and Don Felder. But before we get to that, uh, let's just go over 2017 here. You yeah. had another tour with REO Speedwagon and Don Felder. Yeah. The album The Mission came out. It did It did great. It went up all the way up to number six or more on, on Billboard. Uh, yeah. Just sort of give me a quick recap of what 2017 was for the band. Well, you, you've mentioned some of the highlights there. I mean, it started um, It started with us doing this residency in uh, at the Venetian in Las Vegas for maybe did six or seven shows together with Sticks and Don Felder. And this is where... Felder would come on and, and join us and we'd become the Eagles for about six or seven songs. And then we go back into playing a stick show and he joins us on Blue Collar Man and, and Come Sail Away. And that was that's a great, you know, little package there and it's something that's unique to Las Vegas that we do and we're gonna do it again in January. And then that following that was, uh, you know, a bunch of evening with sticks type shows where we do uh, the theaters and then the big blockbuster summer tour was, as you mentioned, and that United was, you know, we rock is what, what it was called. United we rock, United we rock. And it, it, it wound up doing, you know, really, really well. I always get the recap at the end of the year from our management and, and, and from, you know, live nation or whoever are putting the shows on. And, I know that we ended up again in the top 50 grossing uh, tours in America with that one. And so that, that's actually an extension of that. And the cities that we couldn't get to in the summer, we're adding on to, I believe, in March of this year is when is when we're doing those shows uh, again. So that sticks how we're going. And, so, and I know that we, we have a, a great thing lined up for this summer as well, which I can't announce yet because I don't think it's all fully finalized. But if that comes together, it, it'll be It'll be fantastic. I'm looking yes. forward to it. It's going to be Can't fantastic. talk about it right now. Going to be great. Going to be fantastic. Going to be you know everything everything the president would would use as a, a you know as an adjective. I'm going to I'm going to put on top of that. But it, uh, in the meantime, yeah, March. I'm just I'm just flipping through the um, to the, the itinerary so far, Mitch, and it says yeah, in March we're doing these uh, the shows with um, with Ario and, and Felder again, and. Uh, that's about it. But the, I think the biggest the biggest highlight of 2017 for me was the release of the mission. You know, the 16th studio album from Styx, and and as you mentioned, you know that it it it, it made a great impact among you know the well the classic rock legions of uh, followers that there are out there. And um, uh, you know, it's I love the fact that by the end of this year, it's you know I, I love looking at the fact that people are debating where where the mission sits in their top five favorite sticks albums of all time. So I, I feel that the, the record was a, was a, a great success just on that, on that count alone, the fact that it would be, you know, considered in that, uh, as part of the great lineage or heritage of, of the band over the last 40 plus, I mean, closing in on five decades now of existence, which is quite a, a re- remarkable. Yeah, it really is. In fact, um, well, you know, I'm going to start off with the, uh, with the, uh, Renegades in the Fast Lane. Then I want to get back to the mission because I yeah, want to explore that more in depth. Yeah, yeah, Renegades in the Fast Lane. Uh, it's coming up in January, early February. Talk to me about prepar- uh, preparing for those kind of shows because, in a sense, you, you're in the same city for five, six days. You've got sort of the same yeah. kind of audience. How do you sort of prepare the set list? Do you change stuff up a lot, or is it just, no, we're going to do one sort of set? and Talk to me about that sort of mental state because you're not moving around. You're 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 in one place, yeah. and yeah. So talk to me about that. 
Well, it, you know, in some ways it, it reminded me of, you know, when I used to play clubs in the seventies and I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, if I'm thinking of Montreal, where you come in and play, there were two clubs there where we'd be in for like a week. One was the mustache, which is right across the street from the Montreal forum. The other one was called the Maples, which I think was in kind of on the outskirts of town. But this is long before you were born, Mitch. Oh, I I remember uh, the mustache, actually, quite frankly. (laughs) I do. In fact, but I do think it actually closed down recently. I'll have to check that real quick. Quite possible. But it it was it. This reminded me of that on a much larger scale, you know, and I I got to get the feel of what um, what bands, you know, how they can kind of settle into a, a theater and to a to a, a dynamic that's um, that, that's not so much predictable, but basically becomes like your home, rather than your your little you know your little visiting a hotel room, so to speak. Instead, you you feel like you're at home there, that you're in command of the place for a week or a week plus. And um, there was something very I don't know. There was something very inviting about that. And when they asked us to come and do it again. In 2018, I, you know, I was really thrilled with it. As far as changing the setup, I think we altered maybe one or two songs uh, each night. You know, we would put in one. I got it. There were, I think, we learned about ten Eagles classics. You know, and you know, we maybe alter one song per night. But eventually, it all led to Life in the Fast Lane, and Renegade, and Hotel California, and Come Sail Away. And that that's quite an encore right there. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, yeah. T- t- quickly talk to me about Don Felder because you've done many tours with him. Talk yeah, to, talk to me sure. about sort of this this relationship that the band and, and you have with him, and just why it works so well together. And I've seen it. Uh, you know, I've seen you out at the yeah. Ottawa's Blues Fest and other places. It, yeah, it, it, there really is something about these the music and just the, the demeanor of the two bands just sort of fits. It meshes. Unusual uh, in that when you think of you know, those bands in the seventies in their, in their, you know, in their days when they were really breaking through and when they found their audiences, you wouldn't think of them on, in the same breath at all. You know, you would think of, of sticks as being somewhat part of the, the progressive rock movement. And I, that's part of what I loved about the band is that I could, I could hear how they kind of were an, an American version of what, you know, yes. And Genesis and ELP and, you know, Pink Floyd maybe, and uh, a bit of Jethro Tull thrown in there. I, I saw them in, in that, you know, in that realm. And the Eagles, in, entirely an, an Americana um, kind of uh, continuation of something that, that, that bridged all kinds of American influences in there. And I didn't hear a, a whole lot of British <laughs> prog in Eagles music. And yet, when we played together, I guess the first time with, with Don was about five years ago. Uh, we had a show in, in San Jose together and it really was kind of a test to see if, if this would work because we were just starting to, you know, book ourselves with, with bands that, that you wouldn't expect us to be with starting with the year prior when we went out with Def Leppard again at that time, you know, it, it didn't quite, you wondered, is this going to work? You know, because the bands have, you know, different audiences and, and came out during different eras, but it worked you know, tremendously well. And, and then when, when Felder was playing his, you know, he did a, a set with us, 10 Eagles songs that he's, you know, part of the writing team on and, you know, part of the, uh, the, uh, the, the let's call it the classic lineup, if you want to. Um, as he played those, we wondered, how is the Sticks audience going to be with these? Well, I think a lot of classic rock now has become one... Uh, 
ubiquitous, let's call it that, one universal statement that that you can, like I, for example, I wasn't, at the time, I didn't really appreciate Fleetwood Mac the way I do today, where I can't listen to them enough. I think they're fantastic. And yet at the time, I was kind of very much, you know, categorizing bands back in the 70s as to what I liked. And, and I, I just mentioned them with all the progressive stuff, right. you know, and Elton and Queen, you know, and basically anything beyond those lines, I was kind of like, ah, you know, I like that a little. But now I hear bands that weren't, you know, that weren't at the center of what I loved at that era now suddenly make way more sense and are part of the overall um, tapestry of what classic rock is and, and how far it reached and how wide the the um, parameters were for, for what it could um, be musically. So when you put Don Felder and Eagle songs next to stick songs today, it actually makes a lot of sense because they're, they're songs that have touched people's lives over, over decades and to have them kind of, you know, doled out, you know, over an evening like that is it's fantastic entertainment. I, I mean, I, I can barely stay backstage, you know, for, I'm usually out there for half their set, just watching them. And actually Tommy Shaw gets up on stage and plays with them. Todd goes up for, with them a little bit. So we, that, that kind of a relationship has kind of evolved. And then to have Don come on stage with us just seemed like a natural kind of next step. Yeah, it really has. And, and they're, they're songs of a generation. And what I find entertaining now about the term classic rock is uh, mm-hmm. Nirvana and Pearl Jam have started showing up on classic rock stations, <laughs> and you go, I know. you go, man, I'm getting older every single year. Yeah, well, you, yeah, well, they, then you're one of the lucky ones, you know. You Got to look at it that way. I heard this morning. Uh, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma today, and I woke up this morning. The first song I heard was "Handle with Care," you know, of travel, traveling Wilburys. Yep. And I thought that came out. I, when is it? Is it like eighty nine or ninety around there? Wilburys? I'm thinking Wilburys might have yeah. been eighty seven or so. You know, hold on here. As, have, oh, as early as that? I have I have access to this. Let me see here. Traveling. Give him, give him a quick give him a quick googling. Traveling Wilburys. Here we go. I'm doing yeah. the quick googling. The Google. Yeah. Uh, tra- yeah. Traveling Wilburys. Uh, first album was nineteen eighty eight. Second album nineteen ninety. Okay. <sighs> So I heard handle handle with care. So eighty eight ninety. We're, we're both wrong, but we're close. Yeah. <laughs> but I heard that, and I, I immediately I thought, wow, great to hear some classic rock. And I'm thinking, you know, that's well beyond the eras of when these guys in this band <laughs> were. You know, initially classic rock to me was like it ended at nineteen eighty. You know, that was to me that was it. Now it, it extends well into the nineties uh, to my mind because I guess I guess twenty five years is going to be the cutoff. Let's 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 call it that. You know, at at the twenty five year mark, you've you've achieved the. If your song is still around, it's uh, it, and it came out in the last half century, then we're then we're, we're gonna we're gonna call it classic rock. And after all, it is it is the gigantic musical statement of the last half of the entire twentieth century. So it really is a music now that. And I've ma- I make this point in 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 stick shows and actually in a bunch of gallon shows I just did last month, uh, is that. These songs that were, you know, initially considered to be transient pop songs that would have a, a limited shelf life, they, they've wound up having a lasting impact on not not just one generation, but now new generations, and they're they're um, they're still around and they're still uh, relevant to people's lives. So I think we I think we might have underestimated just the the value of what they were at the time. 
Yeah, well, we always underestimate value, especially music. But um, all right, now, now you mentioned yeah. Gowan and the Gowan shows. I want to ask you about that, and then I want to get to the mission sure. in in detail here. Yeah. But yeah, uh, unless I'm mistaken, the last album, The Good Catches Up, came out in '95, right? Is it, has, there's, there hasn't been. Good an, Catches uh, Up, yes. The last studio album was yeah, and then following that, the only studio was, recordings before Sticks were a couple of recordings on that I added to the Greatest Hits album that came out in '97. Yes. Right, and then you also did Home Field in, in the UK and Return to Strange Animals. Yeah. But um, you haven't done any sort of Gowan music. You haven't done anything sort of from your own soul, if, if that's the way to describe it, mm-hmm. in quite a yeah, bit. Yeah. Is that something you sort of miss doing? I mean, it's great to be in sticks, but at some point you're singing somebody else's songs, and I don't mean that in a disparaging mm-hmm. way. Do you want to sort of get no, back no. and say, hey, I've got a point of view that's not a sticks point of view, it's not a classic rock point of view, it's a it's a uh, ali- it's an alias Gowan point of view. The ali- an alias, get, get back to the alias Gowan point of view. <laughs> right. Well, uh, quite honestly, that, that really began to... Uh, to, to you know, to take the, the front of my mind, you know, to come to the forefront around 2010, actually tw- 2009, uh, I'd been in sticks at that point, you know, 10 years, and uh, there was a venue in uh, Niagara Falls we played Falls View that um, the, uh, the the guy who was booking that room and, and managing it said, "Look, we have sticks here." last couple of years he said but we're really starting to get a lot of calls for for wondering if there's ever going to be another gallon show and and coincidentally that was the 25th anniversary of strange animal so we did uh, we wound up doing seven nights there over the next three years um and the next two years i should say uh just basically to start playing that music again and the funny thing is when i came back to sticks after those shows um, JY and Tommy both said, you know, that was, that's cool because you've come back from that and you've kind of brought something new back with you. And I didn't know what they meant. They kind of a, a subtle shift, you know, had kind of happened, I suppose. And cause that's what happens whenever you step out of your, your, you know, what becomes your comfort zone of what you're playing on stage. And I had to really relearn those songs and had to really engage with, with, you know, the nuances of them and the sounds and all that to, to, to kind of bring that, that era back to life. And, uh, and then you saw us, I think the last time you saw us was, was it 2012, Mitch, when we played there? Outside I saw, Montreal? Well, well, I saw Gowan at, uh, L'Assomption, which was, that's, that's it, that's it, uh, yeah, yeah 2012, 2013. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a good five years ago. I mean, I saw Sticks so, at yeah, Fairview Point Claire times, yeah. in like five months yeah. ago. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, have I seen so Gowan since did, then? No, it's been a while. No, I think it's been that. So I think basically, you know, since Sticks play over 100 shows a year, and since I, it's, you know, I've been in the band now, I'm going, I'm going into my 20th year very shortly. Um, it, it's a huge part of my life, mainly because the band uh, plays live so much. There's an insatiable demand to see them that I have to squeeze in a few gallon shows every year. So I did one, two, three, uh, I did seven this year, or sorry, in 2017, I did, I did uh, seven gallon shows in total. And of those six of them were sellouts and, and they, they all were, Again, now I'm seeing at gallon shows what I saw at stick shows about 10 years ago, which is younger and younger people that know this music and um, are throwing their arms up in the air and singing the lyrics as if as if these are songs that came out, you know, when they were when they were 
when they were on the planet, and they're not. So um, having seen that, over the last number of years, I can tell you, and I have, I've said this a few times, I have been working away on a solo uh, album that hopefully will come out. It, it could come out anytime now because we've got plenty of stuff ready to go from it. And I'm hoping that some of it comes out in 2018. We shall see because I have to wait to see if there's a, a window of opportunity to, to promote it. You know, that's the, that's really the key. I don't want to just throw something out there from the alias gown <laughs> world and not have any time to kind of focus on the, the proper promotion of it because otherwise it'll it'll just disappear on the wind and, uh, you know, because the music world is so saturated with music now through the internet. So I have it there. I am very... Um, inspired and 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 motivated to want to do another gallon record and and perhaps more in future after that if it does okay and um no it's 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 very much an integral and important part of my life i just there are just so many days in the year when you can uh when you can follow a project and you know it's like the old saying if you want to you, you can only you can only ride one horse if you try to ride two horses with one ass you'll probably do a bad job of both. So I really try to try to break, break up the time so that I can focus and, uh, on, on those things. So the gallon shows we did in 2017, it was great because I had a few weeks there to focus entirely on them. Uh, the drummer from sticks, Todd Zuckerman, he joins me on those shows. Um, there was one show in Moncton, a, a festival where my son actually. We got cut off at this point, but here is part two or the continuation of Larry, Lawrence, alias Gowan. We are back with uh, yeah. Larry Lawrence Gowan. Um, our our alias. phone, alias Gowan, the phone, uh, the phone yes. cut off. You live by the sword, you die by the sword sometimes. But yeah, exactly. We, yeah. we were talking about uh, making another Gowan album, and you were telling yeah. me uh, very nicely that the juices have been flowing, and an album might come out in 2018, depending on if there's a window of opportunity to properly promoted it. which is which is of course very important you can't just sort of drop it there and then walk away that would that's ridiculous you know to to, yeah. to 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 release it the day before you go out on the reo speedwagon tour would make no sense makes no sense um, it makes no sense and really that's you know ultimately music is it's it's a form of communication it's the highest form of communication and to me it's like you have you know you you have to be recognized the fact that there's you know you have to kind of market the moment when you're when you can uh, engage with people, if you don't think about that part of it, then it'll just it'll just dissipate on the wind. Yeah, it will. So l- let me ask you this here then: uh, When it does come out, do you look back at the '80s and '90s and say, "I need to make a Gowan album that sounds like Moonlight Desires and Criminal Mind," or do you say, "Hey, it's been such a long time; I have the freedom to do whatever I want, and if it's going to have you know tubas and flutes, well, it'll have tubas and flutes. Too bad." Like, yeah. h- how do you sort of see it musically? Well, funny enough, I, I feel very connected to music of the 70s, quite honestly, even though there were no gallon records then. I think the classic rock era and how records were made in the 70s, I think, was the ultimate uh, time when um, just before technology began to, to kind of encroach to the point where it, um, it was part central to how music was made. Uh, I think the albums that were made in the 70s, we, we've, I've been recording to tape the same way that... Uh, the new sticks album was done and, and doing everything as analog as possible to get the, to get that warmth, to get that feeling of, of what, what was there during the vinyl era in its first, you know, go round. Um, I think there's something about that, that, that really 
I love, I guess I'm a bit of a traditionalist in a lot of ways. I love things, things that have achieved a classic status. I, I love kind of trying to figure out what, what it was about them and, and, and put as much uh, of those ingredients into anything that's brand new. So I don't, you know, I don't think I could make a, a, a convincing rap record or a hip hop record or a country record. I think really I have to kind of connect to the music that I was, that I grew up on and um, do something. So I'm giving away the fact that the, the, the record is very kind of classic rock like, but obviously people would recognize the voice and the, um, and the, the musical kind of intention from, from the guy that, you know, from the eighties. Right. But, but you don't feel any pressure to do criminal mind part two. I mean, that's safe to say. I can't, I mean, right. and there, there were times when I would even, and I, most songwriters are like that where you, if you, if you've had some great success, you're going to be tempted to at least uh, make, make a couple of attempts at that just to figure out what, what suddenly clicked on that song. <laughs> and, but they always fall short because they're just not, they're not honest. They're not straightforward in, in their, in how they roll out. So no, I, a criminal mind is, uh, has, has stood the test of time and doesn't need to be uh, re-recorded, re- refurbished. You don't need to refurbish. No, at all. No, um, let's, let's talk the mission here. Cause you mentioned um, recording it old school, which is funny because the story is about the future mm-hmm. and you, you went old yeah. school on the recording. But, yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm reading just quickly from uh, an interview with Tommy Shaw. He says very clearly, we didn't use a single digital plugin. We use an analog no. Neve console. Um, yep. The same one that Donald Fagan of Steely Dan recorded Aja on. Uh, talk to yeah. me about that whole process of going old school. And the other thing, by the way, which is different than uh, Cyclorama, is that instead of the band producing it, Tommy and, and uh, JY, um, <clears throat> you guys brought in, and I'm losing the name here, Will Ivankovich. So, so talk to me about yeah. the. Will old... Ivankovich. Yeah. He, guy from Santa Rosa, California, and he. Actually, he had done some work with Tommy on the Shaw Blades uh, tour, and that's when that's when really he came into our kind of circle. And um, you know, there's been a great association between he and Tommy Shaw, and it really was the album began with them kicking around a couple of song ideas uh, a few years back, and then as that began to kind of uh, you know uh, arise, uh, I came into it as the kind of the the third writer, and then I brought some recent ideas that I've been that I've been kicking around, and kind of glommed them in there, uh, along with what they had going, and that's really how the record took shape. And, and then there were a couple of great guitar riffs that JY had been noodling on for for some of them for a couple of years that, that found their way into songs. Uh, the opening of Gone Gone Gone, for example, is a, a JY classic riff that he'd been playing maybe for a couple of years. And then suddenly it finally found its way onto the, onto, uh, onto a new sticks album. So I think what was important was to get an outside producer, quite frankly, Rich, because, you know, all, all of us are pretty adept at doing our own recordings and we all have our own version of what sticks should sound like today. But the great thing is that, that, I, I like the big four classic albums that Styx had, you know, Grand Illusion, Pieces of Eight, uh, Cornerstone, and uh, Paradise Theater. And and I, I luckily, you know, Tommy was thinking, yeah, that we have to we have to make a new Styx record that's got that feel to it. You know, I, I have a studio in Toronto, and he has, you know, he was getting set up in Nashville. But I said, you know, I just recently bought a two-inch Studer machine, 
And we've started recording on that. And I just, everything about that old stuff still sounds fantastic. Vinyl is, has become this, this new, it's, it's gone beyond just a hipster kind of uh, fascination with it to now where people are going, no, I, I definitely do feel there is a difference. It's not just a subtlety. It's a, there's a, there's a, there's a difference entirely in the, the emotional uh, connection between listening to something, you know, in an analog way than, than from, from a digital perspective. And I'm not even saying analog is better. It's just, it just ties easier to what classic rock sounds like. So with that in mind, you know, we actually went through making the record probably three times. There were demos and there was, you know, there was obviously a lot of um, digital stuff involved in that because that's, you know, we're demoing using, using computers, et cetera, to do our recording with. But when it came to making the record, we thought, okay, that's it. Get rid of all the plugins, get out the old Oberheim, you know, the old B3, the regular, you know, the, the grand piano. That was my, my part of it. And let's go into a studio and kind of sequester ourselves in there for a couple of weeks and basically have the engineers patch together things that basically exactly as if we're living in 1979, break down to shutting off our cell phones <laughs> and just pretending it's 1979. And it's amazing how far down the road we could get and how, how what we were hearing back through the speakers, you know, as we're smelling the oxide on the, on the old tape machines going around, it was amazing how we all connected very quickly to that era. And uh, I think that's ultimately why the record sounds the way it does. It was made, you know, we stayed true to that, to that method and, and the songs, you know, un unfolded that way. And, and that's why when you put the album on it, uh, it doesn't sound out of place with, with great sticks records from the past. But there's also that, that, that thing of the band having a performance in a studio and capturing that because the new way of yeah. the drummer shows up on Monday and the singer shows yeah. up on Wednesday and the bass player. Yeah, we didn't you know, do that. <laughs> I mean, how, how do you, how does a song get any soul or emotion when the bass player is recording his parts three months later? It, it doesn't make sense to me. So it's nice. It has to, to be a different. It can make sense if it's a different type of song, you know, like, Sure. There are there are great records that were that were made that way, but it's a different type of song. When you're trying to make something that is true to classic rock, that that part of that sound is that the 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 the, the, the little arguments that are going on, both musical and personal, that that get resolved through the recording of the of the song. That that little adventure, that's part of what's on. That's part of what's on the record. And it's hard to point to it and just say, oh, it's that. It's that thing right there. But really, there are tiny little mistakes on all the greatest albums that were made from that era. And there are tiny little mistakes on the mission that no one will ever notice. But we notice them. But they 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 fit the vibe of the record. Well, so they well had charm. Like, no, don't, don't fix that. Don't. That's, that's part of what it is. That's how it came across on this day. And it feels good. And, and when you've got four or five different arbiters in the room, they suddenly go... No, don't change that. You, you've got a, a much better kind of think tank, so to speak, or brain trust that uh, that's going to shepherd the record to to the to its conclusion. Yeah, and, and and there's a charm in all of that. I mean, you listen to the the first three Kiss albums; they're not even yeah. in time half the time. But that's no. but that's what that's what's part of what what makes it so cool in, in the Sabbath and all. Um, they sound they sound like a band having fun. You you can actually hear the fun coming off the record. You know. Uh, 
Yeah. And the sweat. You can hear the sweat. You can hear like, hey, we, we've yeah. only got 12 hours in the studio. We got, we got to crank yeah. these out, you know. Um, but, like, yeah. hey, you know, this is the first album since uh, 2003, Cyclorama. 2005, yeah. Big Bang Theory was, was a cover album. And, uh, cover album. Um, has this sort of, sort of gotten the juices flowing where you say, okay, maybe we should do another one in two years? Or is this where you just sort of go look back and say, Okay, we gave the fans an album. Now bugger off. We're just going to tour, and you know, don't ask. <laughs> like, like, you know, where where does that you know, sort of we 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 did we did give you know the, the faithful like all of the the album, but we really did it for ourselves, Mitch. Quite honestly, we we made a, a little pact within the band. If we didn't love this thing by the by the time we got to the end of it, we don't have to put it out. It's not going to change the fact that there's an insatiable demand to see the band around the world every day of the year, if if we want. But really when we got to the end of it and we really loved it, we thought this, we can't wait for people to hear this. And that's, that's how we felt. And if that happens again, and very likely, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep my fingers and toes and everything crossed that it will. It's, it's a great thing because it's going to extend the life of the band and our, and our enthusiasm for what we're doing, because there's, there's this extra little, you know, ongoing, uh, you know, story that's unfolding that that uh, that is part of the, the the lifeblood of the band. It's not just playing live. Yeah, and and you're right though. You know, you are one of those bands that if you put sticks up on the marquee, the same amount of fans are going to show up whether you have a new album or not. So, you know, it's it's interesting that you had the motivation and the will and the desire to put this out and 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 go through the process because bottom line it doesn't really change much right so it doesn't change much except from within the band Correct. it's a great shared it's a great shared um you know uh it, 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 uh, effort that you you look at you're you're able to look at each other and, and say basically you know you're you're i i'm hearing stuff coming out of you i'm seeing each member of the band that that i wasn't expecting so the unexpected suddenly has come back into the room again and and you're impressed with the guys that you're that you're that you're on this little journey with, and that's I don't know if you can really quantify how how valuable that is as as a life experience and, and how vital it is to the to the existence and and the ongoing uh, you know enthusiasm of the band. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, I, I'm going to just move along here for a quick second here. Yeah. In July of 2015, you and Todd Zuckerman uh, met with the NASA's Horizon team in Maryland, and, yeah. and this was all part of this the mission. And uh, talk to me about the band's connection with NASA because you also did some other stuff, the Gone 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 video. Um, yeah, uh, talk to me about sort of sure. You well, know, one of the things. Art and real the, life blending, kind of. Absolutely, absolutely. One of the great little things that happened when I when I joined Sticks is suddenly, you know, you get great entree into these great, you know, American institutions. And I'm NASA. I, I've been a very big enthusiast about you know since I was a little kid. But to get to go there, I think the first time I went there was around 2005, actually maybe 2004. Um, and in, in Florida, I went to, you know, Cape Canaveral. And we got to know a lot of the um, the team at NASA, a lot of the people that, that work there. They're now of our, our age, and they're, they're huge, you know, rock fans. And they would basically give us give us the better tour, you know, so to speak. And, and we might wound up making friends with people there. 
Well, Tommy Shaw got into that uh, that spirit as well, and um, it just happened that in 2000, when was it? Uh, 20, 2013, was it or fourteen? Oh shoot, I'm, I'm I'm losing it now. Maybe maybe twenty fifteen. For what? We I. Uh, well, we got invited by NASA to to, to witness July two thousand fifteen. Oh wait, uh, oh the uh, July five. Yeah, yeah, that's what the I new have. Horizon. The New Horizon. You met them in two thousand July two thousand fifteen, and Great. hold okay. on, I'm also looking here, and uh, they had discovered the Styx's smallest planet of Pluto in two thousand twelve. Yeah, there you go. See? Yeah, so Come that on. that's how that, that's how it all started because I I'd gone to NASA in twenty. No, just about every year I actually was going. If we had like three days off, and if I was in the southern states, I'd go to I'd go to NASA and just basically do another tour and look at the uh, look at the space shuttle again. And you know, I'd got to know some of the people that worked on that whole program. And uh, but anyway, in 2015, it was Tommy, myself, and Todd. We went to uh, to NASA on the day that they discovered this. Um, well, on the day that the New Horizons spacecraft had arrived at Pluto, and on that voyage, they named a, they discovered a fifth moon uh, revolving around Pluto, and they decided to name it Styx. Correct. So that that just shows you the degree to which the uh, the impact of, of of a rock band can have on them. And of course, there's also the the, the mythological river and all that uh, that that Greek mythology that, that's in there as well. But the guy that the guy Mark Showalter who worked there, he said, he, he's the one that named it, and he said, you know, really, it had it had as much to do with the band as anything, and that's how I was able to get it through. But uh, anyway, we, so we're we're seeing this come across the screens in NASA, and we're looking at the whole team there jumping up and down like they won the Super Bowl because this this uh, spacecraft had left nine years ago, and and it made it. So talk about you know witnessing perhaps the most involved human endeavor. And and a spacecraft to go that far in nine years and be there on the day that uh, that it arrived. So great jubilation was in the room, and it was shortly after that 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 the mission, the album, all, all the writing, and all of the the story began to really take shape. You know, and eventually that's why the story ends up where the the, the spacecraft in on the mission album winds up going to Pluto and uh, pa- passing the moon sticks. <laughs> it's funny because as I talk about it, I mean it's only it's only a classic rock band that can get away with doing such a high concept record, and yet if you listen to the mission, you don't really have to know this story at all. You can just listen to them as individual songs, and they do stand up uh, very well, uh, you know, when you personalize them. But but yeah. there was a, a linear story there that tied to NASA, and then when again these pals that we made there when they heard the album and saw just how uh, in tune it is with their current um, their current endeavor, which is to, to get to get a mission to Mars. Um, you know, they they embraced it, and then they wound up making a video for Gone Gone Gone, where they um, if, if people look that up, sticks NASA Gone Gone Gone, you'll see probably the most expensive rock video ever made. I think it would qualify as being what three trillion dollars worth of technology <laughs> is in that video. So. Um, I think that may be the highlight of the year. Actually, the fact that NASA, you know, did that uh, promotional piece and used and used uh, a stick song from from the mission to do to uh, to accompany it. And it's it's a great video, and you can find it if you look it up. Um, 
I, yeah. I want to ask you two more things about the mission, and then I'm going to ask you yeah. about, uh, well, something a little different. But um, uh, the producer, he, he, yeah. get, he gets co-writing credit on a lot of the songs. Uh, Absolutely. Talk to me about having him get these co-writes, because in a sense, you know, you've got Tommy Shaw, you've got you, you've got all yeah. these great songwriters. Uh, what was it like bringing him in, and was it necessary? Did, I mean, I don't know how to pose the question necessarily, but just having sort of a guy outside the band come in, lend to the band. T- talk to me about that and, and bringing him in. And, well, and... a great, uh, it's great to have a traffic cop in, so to speak. A producer has to do a number of things. It's never the same on, on two records, you know, like what George Martin brought to the Beatles, you know, uh, records was all kinds of orchestration and all kinds of other musical knowledge that he had from his uh, angle. Uh, if, if you look at... Um, uh, Mutt Lang, for example, what he brought to Def Leppard and the great records that they made, he was a writer as well as a producer, as well as, you know, uh, someone who helped to formulate the whole sound of the band on record. So there's never, there's never any clear delineation, uh, um, uh, delegation, so to speak, of, of what a producer has to, has, should, should do. In this case, Will, you know, he really, he knew exactly the sound that we were after. And he also being a great musician, he knew the kind of chord structures and knew the kind of lyrical ideas that would, that would pass in, in a sticks world. But of course he ran them through the filter of the, of the band before they, uh, before they got embraced into the, into the album. But really it it was beneficial for us to make this record, to have someone who was not on the road with us playing a hundred shows, but instead was in the studio you know, hacking away at, 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 at the latest version of the song or deciding, oh, this one needs an extra bridge or it needs uh, a solo break here. And, and, you know, he did a lot of dissecting of the, of the music in, in our absence so that when we would um, meet up again, we had a new frame of reference and a, and a, and a, uh, a, a kind of a, a departure point to, uh, to, to decide on what to work on because we made, we had to kind of, meet in Nashville every few months, we'd come back together and, and, and work on the record a little bit more until finally we had it where the writing was where we wanted it. We had the, the concept exactly where we wanted it. And then at the, at the end of all that, we went, okay, now we're going to go into the studio. And what I was mentioning to you before, pretend it's 1979 and record these songs and see it through as if we're making a record from the, from the classic rock era that sticks uh, exemplifies. So his, his, uh, the necessity of, of how he wrote for, for the album, how he produced the album, how he did a lot of the engineering on the album was really essential to, to getting the job done. Otherwise we'd still be working on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. See, so, and, and moved along. And, and, and the last thing I'll ask, cause I, I, I know we've been going way, way, way over time. Um, just the concept of having a concept album was that was that exciting? Is that I mean, is that, do you call it a concept album? I mean, I, that's what I see it. It tells sort of I one. I, first of all, I, I have I, I have absolutely no problem with. I love concept records. I've loved them ever since Sgt. Pepper, and uh, even even though the Beatles will say it wasn't a concept record, well, to the world at large, it's a concept record because people you know turned it into one. You know, and all you have to do is go and see. Go and see Cirque du Soleil do love in um, <laughs> in uh, in Las Vegas, and you know when the Sgt. Pepper songs come in, the concept just comes together in everyone's head in, in its own little way. But um, you know, yes, close to the edge and Aqualung by Jethro Tull and 
Carnival 9, you know, uh, the uh, brain cell surgery from ELP, and I can keep going on and on. And then, of course, there's all the Genesis records that uh, one concept after another. I'm, I'm entirely enamored and in love with that era. I know that, that prior to me joining Styx, they, they ultimately had their, their biggest fight was over a concept album. <laughs> so they had, a little bit of, they had a little bit of that to kind of get past making this record. But quite honestly, there was no hesitation on anyone's part to say, why, why not? Let's, let's make it a concept record. It, it's, it's entirely in keeping with the era that the band you know, um, is, personifies. And, and it, it keeps us on course as to how we want to get from beginning to end. Yeah, it really does. Now, it, it, I guess you should you should somehow blend Kilroy was here and the mission into the some, some kind of space aliens <laughs> attack Mars or something. Um, you know, I've I've actually I've I've thought of that. I've thought of it. Wonder if there's some great way you could stitch the two concepts together. I don't know if the, if it'll go well over well with the band though. <laughs> it's it's entirely doable, and it could lead to a to a great movie. Now, now we're going to talk movies just real quick. Um, Wolf Cop and another Wolf Cop, uh, Wolf Cop, yes. uh, yeah. are these Canadian comedian or uh, comedy comedic horror, horror, comedic horror, right? Yeah. Uh, and they use uh, your alias, the uh, Gowan songs, the uh, Moonlight yes. Desires, and um, what was the other one they used Strange in there? Strange, Strange Animal. Strange Animal. And you appear in. Another Wolf Cop that was made in 2017 yeah. as the yeah. uh, organ player in a arena, uh, yeah. rem- reminiscent of the organ player to me at least of the Slapshot uh, movie. Uh, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. It's got that sort of vibe. Uh, talk to you know, small town arena with a guy playing. You know, uh, talk to me about this. Let's call it a movie career, for a lack of a better word, and and these okay. sort of camp uh, films and what just, aspect. Yeah, just sure. filming it and well, being in know, it and another wolf cop. We, oh, well, here we go. I mean, if you look at the 1980s, right, it was a it was a, a decade when if you weren't on television, then you weren't on the radio. And if you weren't on the radio, then people didn't know your song. So I, I'm from that era, and I really uh, embraced that with uh, all, all four limbs, uh, as as people know. And, and, you know, I really was – I really am a, 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 a typical um, – Video killed the radio star kind of a, a, a product. So if you want to reduce me to that, um, a lot of the, the movie people who are making films today, producers, directors, etc., they were little kids when those videos came out. So they remember a Criminal Mind and Strange Animal and Cosmetics and Moonlight Desires and and how those videos kind of delved into a, an animated world and, and kind of created the character of Gowan, I guess, on stage uh, had had his own kind of he, he he was personified in these in these videos through the, the lyrics of those songs and through the um, through, through the way the videos were made. So those images have stuck with people. So when they grow up and they wind up making horror comedy movies like Wolf Cop, or if they wind up making you know like um, I saw Kim Cattrall had something called Skin Deep, and I I, I saw Moonlight Desires used in that. You've got you've got a lot of people that know these songs from from their childhood. And now, when they're when they're making films, they they find that these fit for the soundtrack. Um, well, the other part of that is that visually they remember what I was like or what Gowan was like in those videos. And so, when it came to making the second film, another Wolf Cop, they decided, why don't we give him a character in the movie? You know, and uh, 
somewhat like the organ player in uh, in Slapshot, but quite honestly, he's much more dark, much more evil, and and more like a uh, more like a villain from from a Batman film than anything from Slapshot. So that's a, that's a little character that I get to play in, in another Wolf Cop or Wolf Cop Two, if you want to call it that. And uh, I'm coming to Montreal to do a, to host a night of a double feature of that at the Cinema du Parc on the 12th of January. So I'm inviting the entire city of Montreal, the entire province of Quebec, or anyone from upper state New York who wants to come to that. It's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, it's going to be a ton of fun. And for me, it reminds me a lot of the um, Alice Cooper movie from the early, uh, from 84, called Monster Dog, where he was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, so, it's, so, so but it's great to see. Now, is the, just and just we'll just finish on that. Is that something though you'd like to do more of? It, it is I don't want to say get away from the music, but but move into uh, movie making or or more theater or or Broadway or just mm. something different than just uh, sticks well, and touring and the alias of Gowan. It comes it comes down to how much time there is. If I could have as much fun doing you know film as i did doing another wolf cop and it only it only took a couple of days you know so it didn't it didn't eat into our touring schedule or any of my musical aspirations at all then that's fine if i can delve into it i've done like a couple of voiceovers for cartoons in the past and and those are if if they're brief kind of if it's a brief lark i i don't mind not only do i not mind it it's a great it's a great little uh fun little uh you know side holiday from doing music but that's really how i i would always treat something like that as a, sort of a a little vacation away from music but and then ultimately it finds its way to uh to helping the music um career in some aspect down the road but you never know hey mitch I, i'm i'm up for anything i might wind up working at starbucks at some point <laughs> why not free coffee we can't can't yeah. go wrong there oh um, yeah exactly you know oh always a pleasure i know we had been scheduled for 20 minutes and and we're way past an hour and we had spoken okay, uh, man. off the record I, I too <laughs> great but uh yeah I, you know i look forward to all of this and it's just uh you know it's, it's just great um again the, the the very first time i got a, i got to see you was playing mcgill university in what the hell was it if <laughs> 90. Remember that nineteen ninety ninety right? It was ninety. I think it was ninety. Yeah, yeah and it was yeah. like the dead of winter, as far as I remember, like February or something. It was bloody cold. Probably. But uh, yeah. it's just it's just been fun uh, to to follow your career and 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 see you in sticks and just see the band keep going and and see Tommy to keep going. It's it's yeah always always great. Guys, well, thank you so kindly, and I'm glad you stuck with it for all these years. And um, no, I'm looking forward to seeing Montreal again on the twelfth of January. So that's going to be. That's going to be a fun, a fun little evening. Yeah, uh, popcorn be. and wolf cops and bagels. You got to get bagels when and you're bagels. Oh yes, the Saint Viateur bagels. Right? Saint Viateur yeah. bagels. Yeah, and then uh, when you head back to Vegas, it. you can bring some to uh, to Celine Dion. It's her, it's her favorite. So, so there you go. I, I will personally deliver those. <laughs> Thank, you. Like Thank you. Thank you, sir. See you. See you in a Great. couple of weeks. All the best, Mitch. Yeah, all the best, and we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at podcastone.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. 
This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Big thank you to uh, Larry Gowan of Gowan. Always, always love talking to Gowan. And I do encourage people to go out and see another Wolf Cop 2, his um, acting debut. Well, I don't even know if it's a debut, but his you get to see him act, which is great. Um, we're going to move over to Peter Hayes of Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. But before we get there, I just want to finish my uh, conversation about KISS and the encyclopedia of KISS with author Brett Weiss. Um, So here we go. Here is part two of me talking KISS, which is what I love to do, with author Brett Weiss. KISS has, over the years, uh, changed members quite a bit. And that's reflected in the book. You talk about Bruce and you talk about Vinny and you talk... um, on a personal level, though, what what do you make of all the lineup changes? Is there anyone that is greater than another to you? Is is you know? Let's start with what do you think of the current lineup featuring Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer? Well, I've I've seen them in concert several times, and I think they do a terrific job. I mean, I think Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer are excellent musicians. I think they play the right notes, and. Um, you know, I'm and I'm fine with them carrying on. I mean, almost every other band in existence has carried on with, you know, there's very few bands like Led Zeppelin that just give it up after a member leaves or dies or whatever. And, right. um, you know, they usually carry on with somebody. I mean, ACDC being the perfect example with, uh, you know, uh, Brian Johnson and everything. And so I have no problem with them carrying on, especially since, you know, they it's still the spirit of KISS, the energy, the high, you know, energy shows and the classic songs and everything. But at the same time, I grew up just being absolutely obsessed with Ace Freely. You know, he was my favorite band member from day one. Most of the kids at school, Gene Simmons was their favorite, but I was always that, you know, Ace guy because of his, you know, his science fiction. I was always a science fiction fan, so I loved his persona and just his sort of loose, loopy guitar solos were incredible. And, um, yeah, so I've always been a major ACE fan, but you know, when it, when it worked, turns out that, you know, they went their separate ways. I wasn't, you know, I was disappointed, but I wasn't one of these bitter, you know, haters. Uh, you never have been that, you know, I'm, and I'm, I was a fan all through the nineties and, you know, picked up their albums, uh, during that era. And, you know, for me, nothing ever beats, you know, the first. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I have no no problem with a, a band or a brand continuing on. And uh, listen, Tommy and Eric are are, are great. I, I think Eric Singer is the best drummer they've ever had, quite frankly. Even though uh, I'm with you, those those first albums that the '70s and what Peter was doing, well, with the exception of Anton Fig on Dynasty, right? Right. right was it, it, it is it's a, it's a perfect combination of this sort of jazz drumming. Mm-hmm. rock drumming that 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 really worked um and by the way i also see in the book here that you've included the a world with heroes tribute uh which i happen to have put together back in 2013 so thank you for that because it was done in the spirit of raising money for my wife's deceased father so thank you oh certainly glad to glad to include that um can i speak about uh, eric singer just real quick of course um, one i had an incredible experience so I, I missed out on the Makeup Eric Kiss as far as seeing him in concert. You know, I saw him on the Midnight Special. You know, all the Kiss Meets the Phantom Park was one of the greatest nights of my life. You know, that kind of thing. You know, just to see Kiss walking around and in their makeup and costumes on television and stuff. So, but, you know, like I would mentioned, I missed out on seeing the band live with their makeup on, which is, you know, just 
But in, on April 30th of 1992, I, I, I saw something. One of the coolest Kiss moments I ever had was they were touring small clubs, just sort of getting Eric Singer you know, used to playing with them and stuff. And they played a place called Dallas City Limits. And it was just basically a bar, maybe probably less than a thousand people there. And, you know, we're just pushed up right against the stage. And I'm staring straight up at Gene Simmons. And, uh, you know, they're doing Unholy and the Revenge stuff and all that. And that was just an incredible experience because it was such a small venue. And then, you know, just doing their full big, not not their full big, you know, show with all the pyrotechnics and stuff, but just doing, you know, a full con- uh, full length concert and everything just at this bar, basically. And you basically had to know somebody that knew somebody to, to you know, get a ticket and everything. So that that was really cool. And seeing Eric Singer and that uh, was really great. And I thought, okay, they're in good hands drumming wise, you know, because he was awesome there. And it, it was really cool. Yeah, Eric Eric really just, uh, he's brought the band's drumming to to another level because he can handle sort of everything. Um, the big question in Kiss Circles, of course, is always did Vinnie Vincent save Kiss? <laughs> Yeah, right. three sides always likes to ask that. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, and I was part of that that wonderful podcast in the early yeah. going. Um, yeah, I remember. T- talk to me about um, Vinny. What are sort of your impressions on him? Did he save Kiss? Did he not save Kiss? I mean, well, it's where, interesting where do you lie that there? that uh, concert I mentioned going to at the Dallas Convention Center in January thirteenth, nineteen eighty four. There were rumors that uh, I mean the Liquid album had come out had album had come out and you obviously see uh, Vinny on the cover and you know I was disappointed because I loved Ace and all that stuff but the Liquid album Liquid Up album was great and they were getting radio play so I was cool with Vinny but leading up to that concert there was uh, rumors going around that Ace Freely was going to rejoin the band and you know there was always Kiss rumors growing up and without you know. Not not much way to verify a lot that was coming out. So I was, we were, my friends and I that went to the concert were pretty convinced that Ace was going to be there. And so when we get there to the show and they come out and the lead guitarist is really small and doing, you know, this really fast screeching guitar, we're like, okay, that's not Ace. <laughs> you know? But uh, still, you know, I'm fine with Vinny. I mean, he's not my favorite guitarist and I don't know that his guitar style matches kiss as well as aces does but but you know obviously a great songwriter and the band sort of had a resurgence uh you know when he was with them you know i know he got got on paul's and gene's nerves you know his personality and everything and sometimes he might try to you know carry a lead a little too long or something but but uh i am glad to hear that he's sort of reappearing in january at this kiss convention coming up uh that'll be great and that he's yeah and it sounds like you know i know there were some uh pretty unstable moments with some ex-wives or whatnot that i I touch on in the book and you know he was i know there were problems with him and the band but apparently he's sort of in a good place right now uh you know if you look at some of the things he's written about the show coming up and everything so i'm uh you know pro Vinny. don't necessarily think he saved the band i think probably Losing the makeup and MTV probably saved the band more than anything, but uh, but definitely a valuable you know member. Yeah, and, and, and I, I don't really know if anybody actually saved the band. I think like anything, there are cycles. You know, even mm-hmm. if you're talking about your Apple, you know, sometimes the stock is up and sometimes the stock is down. Right? I mean, I think Kiss by eighty, eighty one, eighty two, they sort of had a run out of gas and ran out of ideas, and then. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they, they, I mean, but, you know, you look at Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath in 78, 79 had run out of ideas. And then, you know, right. so, yeah. And, you know, I think the bottom line is I think Paul and Gene just ultimately never really given up on the band and just sticking with it regardless. I remember I met Paul Stanley a couple of times and uh, during sort of a down period in the 90s, uh, talked to him at a Kiss show. We, what we would do when we would go to concerts, you know, I missed going to concerts during the early years, formative years during the makeup era, but I made up for it later on. I mean, my friends, we wouldn't just go to the show and then go home. We would hang around after concerts and wait for the tour bus. We would try to find the tour bus afterwards to see where they were going. We would um, uh, find out what hotel, you know, we would stay at, we'd go check out some of the fancy hotels nearby and just to see if we could find the band. So in that way, I mean, we met a bunch of, we met Ozzy and a wow. um, bunch of bands. Uh, anyway, Kit, we met Kiss twice and uh, talked to Paul after the show. And, you know, he said, we were, saying, we were shocked that, you know, there were five, 6,000 people there at this big, you know, 17,000 seat venue. And he just said, yeah, you know, especially for Dallas, we're kind of surprised the, you know, it wasn't more full. But he, you know, he, he maintained that, you know, that Paul Stanley personality of positivity and, you know, just keep, and I think just Paul and Gene sticking with it, you know, just clawing in and sticking with Kiss and, and, and is ultimately what saved them, you know, just not giving up. Yeah, not giving up. Um, yes, that spirit they have in so many of their songs, you know. Well, it, it, it's always been an uplifting message, except for perhaps the Carnival of Souls, where they're purposefully <laughs> trying to be a little darker. Um, right. Let's uh, let's wind down here. The band did a farewell tour back in about 2000. Do you think that the band is at a point now where it's time for a final farewell tour, or do you think they sort of just go on until they can't go on? Well, I have to say that I think Paul's vocals, and I know people get hated on for commenting on his vocals, and they get hated on for not commenting on his vocals, but I think just from a purely objective standpoint, I think he's lost something uh, with his vocals, and I think that's probably a sign to maybe start winding things down uh, within the next year or so. And you're talking you know, about to someone that would love, you know, that still wants to see him in concert, regardless that, you know, his, his voice is not quite at what it used to be. I still like to go see him play, but I think it's probably a good idea to start, you know, talking about the, be, there being an end in sight within the next year or so, just to, yeah. from a purely objective standpoint, as a fan, you know, I'm fine with him going on forever, you know? Yeah, I'm fine with going on forever. And, and as far as Paul's vocal issues, there are ways I think that they could make up for it. They could certainly have Eric Singer, uh, sing more of the background vocals and pick up some of the parts that maybe Paul can't hit. Absolutely, and I think they should do more songs that uh, just you know give you know give, give him a break, uh, right, right? I mean, yeah, just give let Eric Singer do two or three songs, full songs, you know. And same way with Tommy Thayer, just let them sing more. And of course, let Gene sing a bit more too. I mean, which is remarkable that he hasn't lost anything in his voice. But of course, he um, wasn't doing those. Wah, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. I think his. Yeah, and I'm amazed. But I haven't gone to see the Gene Simmons band, but just the stuff I've seen on YouTube, he sounds really, really good. And, and the shows I've seen him do the last couple of years, his voice is still very strong. But but yeah, I think that probably has something to do with his singing style, not uh, ragging on his vocal cords so much. Right, because he he's sort of always stayed, and maybe this is the wrong term, but he's mid range. Like he's never gone yeah. super high, and it, you know that super high stuff. You look at all the vocalists that have done super high stuff, whether it's Paul or Sebastian Bach or whatever. Mm -hmm. As they age, 
you start losing part of that register, and it's just, you know. Yeah, like Robert Plant or somebody's had to right. kind of bring it down. Yeah, it's just natural. It's just natural, and it's funny that fans will rag on that because if you look at pro sports, for example, and you think of Roger Staubach, well, nobody would want Roger mm-hmm. Staubach to be the Cowboys quarterback at 70, <laughs> and yet right. they expect Paul Stanley to sound like Paul Stanley when he was 20, which is blatantly unfair uh, you know? right yeah and I, and when with my comments about him not quite you know not sounding like he used to that's just a you know that's just a fact you know right. you can deny it or not but at the same time i have i don't begrudge him well, carrying on you know nobody wants to be put out to pasture yeah i, I agree with you too and and uh, and again i'll make another sport analogy you know Nolan Ryan had a 105 mile hour per hour fastball. I'm sure if we were to clock him now, it, it would be at <laughs> 40 miles per. I mean, this is that's the way life goes. It, um, it's funny that you bring a sports analogy into it because when you mentioned Paul, the difference between Paul and Gene, I thought of a basketball analogy. Uh, the basketball players that uh, shoot from outside and have a slower game tend to last longer than the people that jump out of the gym. You know, they they can't correct. do that anymore. They have to start settling for. You know, get a either develop an outside shot or retire. You know, they have to change their game. Yeah, they really do. Uh, Brett, absolute pleasure. the uh, The book is Encyclopedia of Kiss: Music, Personnel, Events, and Related Subject. And uh, hopefully, there will be a uh, follow up after Kiss uh, finishes with what Kiss has to finish. Yeah, maybe a year or two down the road, I'll I'll, I'll update the book if my publisher's interested. And uh, currently, uh, the book you can find it at brettweisswords dot com. It's just b r e t t w e i s s words dot com, and that's where my Twitter and Facebook and uh, all links to all my books and stuff. Uh, or you can just jump on Amazon and look up Encyclopedia of Kiss. There you go. Thank you, Brett. All right, Mitch. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaVaughn. Mitch LaVaughn. And a big thank you to Brett, of course. The book is called Encyclopedia of Kiss. It is definitely worth checking out if you are a Kiss fan. Lots of minutiae included into that. But uh, let us move on to Peter Hayes of the band Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. They have a new album called Wrong Creatures. And I have to say, I was not very well versed in Black Rebel Motorcycle Club uh, before the interview and uh, prior, but I had a chance to check out Wrong Creatures. It was uh, sent as an advance for me, and like I mentioned at the top of the show, my older Cheap Trick ears uh, listened to that and thought, wow, that really sounds like the dark side of, of Cheap Trick. Uh, the, the, well, maybe not the dark side, but the moodier side of Cheap Trick. You know, not not Surrender and I Want You to Want Me, but again, like I said at the beginning, Violins. Uh, which you can find on the box set, by the way, um, and uh, Ballad of TV Violence and L.O. Kitties and that kind of stuff. So um, do check out Wrong Creatures by Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. But here now is my chat with the one, the only, Peter Hayes. How you doing? Good, good. Uh, in fact, I've been checking out your album, um, Wrong Creatures, uh, the last couple of days. It is great. It is just this dark, brooding kind of... To me, because I'm older, this early sort of cheap trick sound of the, the darker stuff. I love it. Just great stuff. Love it. Well, thank you very much. So let's talk about um, the new album here, um, Wrong Creatures. It's been uh, five years since Spectre at the Feast. And, of course, there's been all kinds of circumstances that has uh, led to those delays. But let's 
Talk to me about getting back in the studio and refocusing on making music and not sort of thinking about the life stuff that came that came about the last few years. Well, I guess it, you know, it started it started like like any other album, really, you know, when, when it comes down to it. Um, we went in the studio and decided that we, well, I don't know if we can't if we decided, but we we just kind of came at it as like, okay, everything's new. We're not gonna we're not gonna go back and revisit any ideas right now as far as what was left off the last record or even, you know, four records back, you know. Um, we started with just, let's just jam and see what happens, see what comes. And then we just kind of started piling up and jams. Um, and then we'd revisit those, you know, after, you know, from, from week to week, you know, we'd come up with, you know, you end up playing for, you know, a couple hours straight, and sometimes those ideas wouldn't turn into anything, but it was just kind of fun. And then, um, you know, we were kind of recording it on the phone as we go, or little recorders as we go. Um, and then we had to make a decision to kind of stop that after we had a pile of, you know, a pile of ideas, um, then went back, and the ones that kind of stuck in the memory, um, were the ones we decided to, to go back to and and try to turn into songs, you know. You mentioned uh, that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that, that's kind of, you know, I guess it's, and that might be a bit uneventful, but that's kind of the reality of it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Um, you use Nick... <laughs> Nick Lonnie, who of course has produced Nick Cave and uh, Arcade Fire, Arcade Fire being a Canadian band. Uh, talk to me about having him come in and having sort of that new approach and sort of a new angle to the music and having those fresh ears. I knew I knew of his work with Grinder Man, um, Robert, and and Nick Cave. Um, Robert knew a bit more about um, the other music he did. I'm not good with names and stuff like that. And Robert had met him. I guess in town a few times at shows and they had kept in touch. Um, so we brought him in kind of in the, during the process of after we kind of chose some ideas and then take, took, you know, took those hour long, whatever long jams and got them down to four or five minutes. We brought him in then and, and kind of said, hey, you know, are these are these making sense? Which ones excite you, you know? And uh, and he, he came in, you know, he, he came in, and and then he kind of was like, well, play me some other ones, play me the ones you, you weren't going to play. And I was like, okay, well then, <laughs> play him some of those, you know, the, the ideas that weren't as um, weren't just kind of flushed out. And then he kind of, then he kind of come up with, here's here's ways that maybe this song could be more to the point, you know, where he's, you know, he's like, oh, I'm getting bored here. How about you shorten that up? And then it's kind of, then it was kind of our job to not be too, uh, have you ever heard of a, the phrase demo-itis? Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's where the danger is. You start to fall in love with the, you know, your, your own thoughts too much. And that's when it's the best, that's kind of the best time to bring someone in and go, hey, you're just, you know, why you question that? Like, why, why are you in love with that so much? Because that actually is doesn't make sense to me, you know. So you kind of talk that out <laughs> before. Um, that seems like always kind of a good place to bring somebody in. Um, 
in that process. You try not, you try to get out of that mode of just kind of demoitis. You know, everything that you've done is, you know, genius somehow. But it's yeah. not, it's not easy to do. Um, uh, and and so then there's you know back and forth with him with you know agreeing and not agreeing. Um, and trying, you know, trying his ideas and seeing if they work, see if they, see if you kind of, you kind of do it, put it on, put it on tape for a little bit and live with it, you know, that way you can get out of your, get out of the mode and rethink it in, in different ways. Um, and, uh, and then, so we went in, we went in and cut basics just to get drum tracks, um, in the studio and then, uh, brought it back home with us and um we worked in different places some was at my place you know putting on um overdubs and finishing words up and then you mixed it and in the mixing process there's still um there's still ideas of where songs could be shorter and more to the point or um or longer you know um in different places um you know, we we try to come at it where anybody that's in the room, um, we always try to come at it where we we we're asking them about, hey, well, what do you think? You know, and hopefully you're working with people that can, you know, be honest with you. You know, they can say things like, well, for some reason that there doesn't, you know, um, it's boring to me or doesn't make sense. You know. Um, and then you try to take that into account, you know, you use that as a, as either validation or like, well, yeah, I want it to not make sense there. <laughs> or else you sit and think about it and you go, okay, well, let's just come at it another way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When, when Leia approached you uh, a couple of years back or 2014 and says to you, I have this brain condition, um, what was your sort of initial reaction to that? And, and talk to me a little bit about how, you know, the human side takes over compared to the business side, because that must have been sort of a devastating moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, my, my reaction was to not, not do music at all. Um, that's kind of where my, I guess where I went with that. Um, I'd, it didn't feel right to have a a bandmate, you know, friends to be in a situation where music was kind of taken away from them in a way. Um, it didn't feel right to be sitting around playing <laughs> playing music and and just continuing with the kind of business of it, you know, because you know, even though you know, I, I did believe music can be kind of a, a therapy, you know, and, you know, to help you through times. It just didn't, for me, it didn't feel right to do, you know, me or Rob, we weren't going into a rehearsal and going, well, let's continue on. Um, and, uh, and just have music ready, you know, for if and when, you know, she were to get better. It was just more concentrating on, okay, well, this is, this is life happening and I want to be there with a friend to help, help her recover as, um, 
as quick and as well as possible. That's that's from yeah, that's from mind brain. I completely turned off the music. Didn't listen to music. Didn't and play music. You know, and I just got, I kind of just let that happen. Um, I tried not to stress about that. You know, too much. I tried to live live in what life was. You know, at that moment, like that. Yeah, and 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 of course, getting her back. How how does that re-energize you and re-energize the band? I guess it's a. I guess it becomes a bit of a. You get a, a sigh of relief. Uh, um, re-energize. Um, I'll put it this way. Also, I mean, having been around bands for many years, there's a lot of sort of backstage stuff and behind the scenes stuff and business stuff that seems so important and so dramatic. And you, you you sort of lose that human element. Does does this sort of change how you approach the band? Now it's just like, hey, it's 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 three friends making music, and and the whole sort of behind the scenes stuff of who has a bigger dressing room and who has. I mean, that just sort of it must just all fall to the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean that that. That's something you always kind of struggle with, you know. I mean, what, yeah, what? Yeah, I mean, as far as, and I, 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 if you understand me right, I mean, I don't struggle with dressing rooms, it's, but it's always something you try to keep your, you try to keep your, your head and you try to keep yourself in check with stuff like that. We've always tried to do that, and and even with songwriting we try to keep your, we try to keep ourselves in check with that just because you feel strongly about it in that moment that well, your idea is right and you're the, you know you're the you haven't you know your way is the right way to do this song we're always there kind of trying to remind each other like well that's not true this is music you know just because you feel strongly about it that's cool and all but i i feel strongly about it too you know where you know let, let's Let's bring it back down to earth and give it a give a little bit of breathing room and keep it in reality that you know we're doing music here you know it's 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 a lovely thing it's not something to get too uh, high, uh <laughs> too up your own ass about you know so you know yeah it absolutely brings things back what the shame about life is you t- you're always having to fucking remind yourself about that stuff right. It's like you have constantly. Kind of, I, don't know about, I don't know if it's kind of an epiphany, but you know, you have these moments like, oh fuck, yeah, I'm taking this shit too fucking serious. Then you're just kind of like, oh, thank fuck, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. And then it fucking comes right back, you know. And it's that's a constant kind of frustration in life, you know, to to not do that to yourself and to the people around you. Um, I wish it was just kind of one epiphany, and then you can be able to move on and just live that way, but it doesn't seem to be that simple. I wish it was, you know. Yeah, wouldn't you know, it? You know, that's something you're always kind of working towards. Yeah, well, one epiphany would be great, but uh, it's it's this long process of <laughs> continuous discovery. Um, <laughs> lyrically, uh, you have talked a lot about mortality and, and, and life's great mistakes and great regrets. Um, talk to me about sort of that theme and, and why you embrace those kind of lyrics and that kind of thematic approach to the songs and not just, you know, Hey baby, baby, let's go party on a Saturday night, which, you know, many bands have made a great career out of. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, and we've got we've got some songs like that too. That are, you know, simple. Right. <laughs> um, it, it's um, I don't, you know, that's a that's another. At the end of it, um, I guess um, it's what kind of comes out of you. You know, you um, there's there's certain times where you, I guess you try to you try to I don't know. I for, for me, I because of what comes out lyrically, um, I'm always, I'm always looking at the light side with the dark. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm looking at it. I look at it as like, okay, well, there's maybe this is talking about something dark, but the, but what gives me the light is that, um, is either the, the, the dark humor of it, um, or just the connection with it, you know, getting it out. Um, I'm always looking at it that way. So that for me, that keeps it, that keeps it interesting and keeps it not one dimensional. Um, and that that's up to the listener. If they're only getting one dimension out of it, that's kind of, you know, that's their responsibility. That's, you know, that's their fault, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's just kind of how I approach it, I, I guess. And, um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it does. Um, let me take you back here just to uh, to 1997, the uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre, the album "Give It Back," uh, includes a friend of mine actually on on drums, Adam, Adam Hamilton, who ended up in L.A. Guns eventually. Um, talk uh, to me. You, you you must remember Adam. Yeah, I do. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did studio work. He's a yeah. great dude. Um, Talk to me about the experience in that band, what that band sort of meant to you in terms of a learning experience, learning about the business, learning about music making and crafting, and eventually the decision to move on and, and, and form your own uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, your own thing. I had, um, <laughs> well, well, I'll first say it was a great experience. It was, it was a lot of fucking fun, you know, real cool memories being in that band but I had always I had I never considered myself a part of that band I had already started playing music with Rob um you know in high school before um before I uh started playing with them and you know I remember talking with Rob I was like hey there's you know there's an opportunity to you know to try out for this band and just you know, they were moving to LA at the time and they were going to be doing their first American tour and the other guitar players weren't available. And so we talked about it and I was like, well, I'm going to use this, you know, as a, just as a learning experience, you know, to see what the fuck it's all about, you know, if, if they're, if they're going to do that. Um, but I always had the intention of like, it's only, you know, one, I'm not in the band. I, I love the band with me not in it, you know? <laughs> that was, was always like, I'm only there to tide them over until the guitar players can get, you know, get back with them. Um, and I had a set kind of a, I don't know, I didn't really set a time limit, but knew that I was um, coming back to play music with Rob, you know, if, um, if you know, Robert still wanted to, you know, by then but uh yeah you know um touring you know you know i knew i i had done i'd lived in my car for a while kind of zipping around up and down the coast from 
Washington down California and Montana. I, didn't, I was playing little coffee shops and bars and stuff. I knew I liked that. Um, and there was an opportunity to see if I really liked it, you know, doing it in a band. And, and came to realize, yeah, I really, I did like doing it. I didn't mind life being kind of chaotic and not knowing what the fuck's going on, traveling, you know, you know, it helped me kind of realize that. And, um, musically, I, musically, I never, I, I was writing my own songs on the side. Um, and I really just kind of looked at it as like, I'm, I'm, I'm just a hired gun. I'm not here to do anything, but just play two chords and stay the fuck out of the way, you know, and kind of support their music. Um, I always had, it was always, I was writing the whole time, you know, with them. Um, do all doing my own stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, talk to me about Robert and, and, and of course his father, Michael, who, uh, you know, may he rest in peace. Um, but the connection with the Bin family and the connection with Robert, uh, what, what is it about him that is so strong that you had to come back to him and that you've stuck with him this entire time? Because it's very rare, these pairings. I mean, you think Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley and, but a lot of people fall apart and they, they, they break apart. And they, but what is it about him that, that, that you've stuck with him and he, and what has he meant to you? It's, uh, let's see. It'd be, <clears throat> I, I mean, I guess to be a little bit of a, a cliche, I mean, it does turn into family as time goes on. You know, it started out, it, it started out real simple. It was like, I, I was, I was in, uh, you know, in high school, I was talking to some friends, you know, Robert, well, Robert was kind of acquaintance, um, and he overheard me talking to some people, saying, "Hey, I'm, I had uh, I had talked this uh, college um, kind of music professor into letting me uh, sit in and these open mics at this bar, um, and uh, and I'd tell my friends, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I'm gonna play at this bar. You should come try to." sneak in or, you know, listen, you know, and he overheard me and, uh, and he was the only one that showed up and his dad came in and actually, you know, listened to me play. Robert couldn't get in and sat outside, you know, outside the door. And that, that goes a long way. I guess, especially at that age, you know, you know, it's like, um, that someone took the time to do that. And then I think it was that day, um, we ended up going over to his place to play music, and we just would sit and we'd not we wouldn't say a word to each other really, but we'd just play for hours, you know. And I guess I guess having Michael around to remind us that that's just that just doesn't happen that often. Um, and you know, so that voice in the head reminding you is like, well, that, you know, that was, and and having a bit of. Um, keeping life into reality, kind of knowing that it's like, yeah, that, that can't be that easy, you know, because it's, that's not usual, you know? Yeah. Um, so then along the way, you just try to respect that, right? You try, you try to keep that in mind. It's like, well, um, the way this came about is, you know, there's people that search for someone to play music with for, you know, for their Forever. life. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and so you have to, 
we have to come at it with respecting, the, you know, that that happened. And for whatever reason, you know, sometimes it, you know, I think, I think it does come down to a bit of personal um, responsibility, you know, in the way of uh, um, keeping your, trying to keep your ego in check, you know, it's like, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some responsibility there where, you know, there's, there's some other reasons why maybe you don't play, you can't play music with other people because you think you're right all the time, you know? And so keeping that in check is important along the way. And I guess we've always kind of tried to do that with each other, you know? It's like, just because, you know, you feel, you feel like you know what's right, you know, it's, it's just not true, you know? You know. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I I know that we're we're running out of time, but uh, just last question then. Uh, uh, I got I got nothing else to do. You know, whatever you need. Okay, uh, just just quickly uh, on uh, on uh, Michael, uh, he was in the band The Call, which had a long career. How much advice did he sort of give you and Robert in terms of you know just everything setting up? a business plan, setting up how to get a record deal, how to, you know, tune a guitar. I mean, was he very active or did he sort of, let's say, hey, you guys go figure it out and good luck. You know, how, how sort of instrumental was he getting it up and running and, and just giving advice and being there, having done it himself? That, that, <laughs> let's see. Um, because of his experience with record companies, you, he, he, he had his own kind of nightmares along the way with a lot of that business stuff. Um, so that, that was good and bad, you know, he, he would get, he, you know, he tend to bring his stress of what had happened in his life into the, into the process, um, which was good and bad, you know, I was like, well, you know, this and this and this could happen because this happened to me. So don't, don't get too, uh, worked up about it um uh, did it become too discouraging at some point because i mean when you talk to an old veteran who's had the music business in them it's generally just horror story after horror story i mean (laughs) right did did, did you sort of say oh my god why are we doing this maybe i'll go work at taco bell or did you say okay we'll do it different we'll 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 be better we'll we'll learn from your mistakes He was, he, he definitely, he didn't, <clears throat> he always just trying to keep it down to earth where it was like, all this comes and goes, you know, I mean, it, it, all, you know, the, the fame is going to come and go, the, the touring is going to come and go. Um, so he, he always kind of kept it in that, kept it in kind of that place where it's kind of down to earth. It's like, well, do you want to do music or not? You know, you have to learn to live with this shit and, you know, in in this process. And so that, that was, that was always a good thing. You don't really know how to appreciate that, you know, in the process, you know? Um, but as time goes on, you know, then you, um, you learn how much that kind of, helped along the way um i remember in the beginning i, I always i was kind of um i i was coming from a, when i first met them i was really free form like i i as far as music writing went and he 
when he first kind of showed me, he's like, well, you know, uh, this is actually what a song kind of sounds like if you, you know, as far as you know, I was a fan of Jimi Hendrix. He's like, well, really, if you look at it, you know, this is, here's, here's what he's doing. And it really pissed me off. I was like, fuck, man, he just <laughs> destroyed the, the mystery of that. <laughs> Killed the mystique. Yeah. So it really, uh, that really kind of, I really kind of looked at him with a bit of suspicion in the beginning. It's like, oh, so there's this kind of process that can, that kind of boils it down to this, this way. And so then I tried to, um, but at the end of the day, I was like, oh, well, he's kind of right about it. It is that simple. It's a, you know, these are things I connect with and this is why, but he, he mainly that, that was the only, that's one of the kind of the only conversations in the really, that I had with him. And he, as far as, as far as music goes, you know, you know, and how to do writing, he, he was totally, he he was, I wouldn't say he was hands off, but after that kind of, that, that kind of one statement is like, well, if you're looking to get your point across, here's a way, you know, really look at the bands that you like and how they're doing it and why that connects with you. And then from there, he, um, me and Rob, you know, playing in the living room and the bedroom, you know, he, he was just a kind of, you know, champion. Like, it sounds good to me. Do what you want to do, you know? Um, and then he, you know, for those, for those records, he really helped, <clears throat> helped us in the way of, um, he was kind of like the, the wall or, or the um he was the buffer he took a lot of the shit that the record companies were giving us um when they'd come in and say like first record they threatened to drop us um virgin you know during that first record because the way we were you know, mixing and, and doing stuff we were doing it we'd ask them for you know creative control you know, do it the way we want to do it you know and they said, yeah, yeah, whatever. But they didn't really mean that. Um, so they got, they were pretty, so that, yeah. So from, from kind of moment one, <laughs> we were, That's funny. we kind of, so he was kind of the buffer there though. He'd, he'd kind of be like, he'd be like, look, look, you guys said this, this is how they want to do it. Um, and you know, but yeah, they, Right, but I, you know, it is ballsy to go into the to your first record deal and say we want creative control. So, I'm I'm assuming that that he must have said to to you, hey, when you go in for that first record, ask ask for creative control. Um, but uh, well, anyway. he also said that it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. You know, you know what I mean. When they, he also warned us about that, he's like, their version of creative control was completely different than your version. I would say that to anybody, you know along the way is like, if you really want to, you really got to sit and talk about that. It's kind of an ambiguous statement. <laughs> you know, um, you know, so he, he warned us about that and sure enough, it happened, you know? Um, and, you know, and he warned us that you're going to, yeah, you're going to, you know, the more you kind of want to do something, but, you know, it's people, Everybody kind of thinks they know what's right, and there are there are definite 
formulas, but if you if you're looking to, if you're looking to do something that's not in that formula, you're gonna make you know I don't know about enemies, but you're gonna make some the people that really think they know what's right they're, they're gonna be a little I guess a little pissed that you're ignoring them you know, which is fair. Um, but you just gotta you gotta be okay with living with that you know. Yeah, it's um, it, it's such a minefield. What's that? I said it's such a minefield navigating uh, the industry <laughs> from egos, right? Yeah, really is. It's dealing with your own ego because you know when it starts to turn around. It's like no, you know you you start to it starts to turn around on you because you you start to go oh fuck man and no I don't know what the fuck I'm doing I know I kind of wanted to do it this way and it's just it's not. You know, you start to grow up a little bit, and then you start to listen to people around you a little bit more. You know, we could have listened to listened to Michael a lot more. You know, that made it maybe made life a little easier. But he was in the he, you know he was in the he's like, well, you got to you got to step on this shit yourself, to figure it out. You know, yeah, it's all egos. You know, it's all that's all it comes down to at the end of the day. I think everybody's got to deal with that stuff. No matter what they're doing, you know you're dealing with. Uh, you know, no, you're probably right. You. Um, I'll finish with this here. The Black Rebel Motorcycle Club uh, tour starts in uh, January in San Diego, which is by by far my favorite city in the world. And uh, we will see you here in Montreal on February 5th. Uh, Peter, just a, a great pleasure today. Absolute, absolute great pleasure. And uh, wrong creatures. I had a chance to listen to it. It's it's stunning, stunningly beautiful. Thank you very much. That's, that's, that's very nice of you. I'm sorry for my rambling talkings here. <laughs> no, no worries. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, see you at the Montreal show in, in February. Oh, man. Thank you very much. Have Thank a good one. Yeah? You too. Thank you for everything. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. <laughs> Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share.